Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I am in the attic, and it is Friday night. So I'm going to fucking record this episode, and then I'm going to send it out. And this episode is obviously incredibly exciting. If you read the description, you know that Jamie Lee Curtis is on this episode, which is insane. There's a bunch of other stuff that's on this episode also. In the wake of the This American Life phenomenon, people are very interested in Dopey. And finally, after uh, years of fucking up ads and having very few ads and very little income, somebody has taken the uh, risk or the, I don't know if it's a risk, they've taken the, uh, they've taken a step at having me and Dopey and the Dopey Nation vouch for their uh, greatness. And I'm talking about Aloe Treatment Center. They uh, exist, they reside in Southern California in beautiful Malibu and Silver Lake, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to go and get clean. If you're having a problem and you want to go away, I recommend going to Aloe. Uh, The philosophy was uh, invented by our friend Bob Forrest, where excellent matters, they provide high-quality care, but that's not what makes them special. It's authenticity and genuineness that provide the aloe a philosophy. Their staff has a combined 675 years of experience treating addiction and mental health problems, and they use state-of-the-art pharmacology for their detoxes, making clients as comfortable as they can be. The staff is amazing. They have insane amenities. But the real reason to go is because they're good people. Um, from everything I've heard about aloe from Bob and from Evan, These are people that really care about how your recovery is and they care about what your life looks like. And uh, they want to make a treatment center that is respectful to the clients. Bob went to a million rehabs and he found that rehabs were disrespectful to him. So he wanted to create a treatment center that was respectful to the clients. So if you're in trouble and no one else can help, maybe you can hire the A-team. Now, maybe you can go to Aloe and check it out. And... um, yeah, check it out. Anyway, still a very exciting show. I'm going to say go to Allo one more time because I want these people to get their money's worth. And I think it's fucking awesome that they trust. They, I mean, I think the biggest thing to say about Allo is that they trusted Dopey enough to advertise with us. So I think that's awesome. Now, again, today's show is very exciting. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is on. Possibly, I think in all likelihood, the biggest... Uh, star that we've ever had. And I'm sure there's a shitload of people in the Dopey Nation who are like, Dave, you're such a sellout, man. We don't need stars. We just need addicts on the show. And you're right. But I like that we got Jamie Lee Curtis. Anybody who knows the story of of how, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of stumbled into mine and Chris's life will feel like we've come full circle. And we get to that story with Jamie, so bear with me. And uh, and for anybody who's new and doesn't know about the show, you should know that uh, I started it with my friend Chris, who I met in rehab, and we wanted to do a show about, you know, the funniest shit that happened when we were doing drugs and getting clean and whatever. And that was dopey, and somehow... Uh, Chris wound up relapsing and dying, and I'm still making the show, and the show is still meant to be dopey, but it can't be the same show because we lost somebody to addiction. So we can laugh at the dumb shit that we did when we're clean, you know, we can laugh at the dumb shit that we did when we're high too, but we need to like, you know, deal with reality that you can't, it's like, how much can you really laugh 
uh, when your friends are dying. And, and not to mention, I don't want any more of you guys to be dying. Not that there's anything I can do about it. So I keep the show as dopey as I can keep it. I try to keep it as funny as I can keep it. There is a responsibility, you know, and I'm not the most responsible person, but, you know, there's a responsibility and I want to honor that. And I, I don't like to, you know, I hate talking like that. But, like, people are giving me shit that the show is not dopey enough. And it's like, fuck you. Watch your friends die and see how dopey you can make the fucking show. So having said all that, it's a very exciting day for Dopey because we have this uh, incredible movie star on the show. So without further ado, let's bring on the great Jamie Lee Curtis. She is an inventor, an actor, an author, philanthropist, activist, blogger, photographer she's a jew she's a gentile she's an actor she's an addict she is a human a baroness an action star a scream queen a comedy legend a mother and a wife you guessed it it's jamie lee curtis well i'm not sure i would have guessed it no i didn't give it away they have to keep going what else can I, I mean, I, there's a million I things know. I could say. Would you say you're an alcoholic, too? Can I put that in the list? Oh, for sure. She's an alcoholic. She's very beautiful and oh, brilliant. Now I would know. Now I would be like, oh, it's that girl. Wow. Yeah. Now, if I don't know if you knew this, but the audience, the real old school members of the Dopey Nation know that for probably three years I've been bugging you to come on the show. Have you noticed did it? You, uh, do people know where we met? Yeah, I told the story. It's one of my favorite stories, but we have a lot of new listeners because of the This American Life piece. So why, why don't you tell your recollection, and then I'll give mine. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was Katz's Deli, wasn't it? Correct. Okay. And it, I, that's sort of all I remember. I was in, you know, I'm not in New York very often. Um, I'm a sort of born and raised Los Angeles girl. Um, new York scares me. And I think I just, I was staying in a hotel near Katz's Deli, and I went into Katz's Deli to get my husband, who grew up in New York City. The great Christopher Guest. The great Christopher Guest. The great Christopher Guest, who, um, I I got a hat. Um, I I got him a bagel and a hat from Katz's Deli. Which I'm looking at right now. It's on a hook in my house. Was he thrilled? Um... I don't know if he was <laughs> he was mildly happy was, you know he was mildly amused and anyway so that's where i remember that and then i remember you ran out following me down the road yes right? i i remember this i was waiting tables it was busy and one of the maitre d's comes up to me and says yo did you see jamie lee curtis was here i was like shut the fuck up and i run outside out the back door to wait for you outside and you come out. We call that, by the way, lying in wait. I'm just saying there there are laws against it, but go on, keep keep with your story. And I leaned up against like the side of the building. I think I was smoking a cigarette, trying to act casual, like I didn't know you were coming out. You know what I mean? Like a Bugs Bunny ish kind of move. And right. uh, and you come out, and I said, "Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, what a shocker!" And you went, "Oh, hello!" And you kind of gave me like a you know a kind of surveying me to make sure I wasn't going to kill you or say anything crazy. And then I told you that I was an addict and I did a podcast and your exact words were, I'm a dope fiend. And I said, yeah. me too. And you said, and I'm clean. And I said, me too. And I gave you, um, and you said, give me your information and I will email you. And, um, and this is where the story gets funny to me. 
I told my partner, you know, who died, Chris, uh, about the story, and he freaked out. And Chris never cared about who we got on the show. But when it was you, he could tell his mother. And his mother... (laughs) was so impressed, you know, and he was like, oh, my God, my mom's impressed, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, she's never going to write anyway. And I kind of I kind of forgot about the whole thing. And I took my daughter grocery shopping. And as I'm grocery shopping, you email, but it just I'm not going to say your email, but it doesn't have your thank full you. name. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm using some common sense. I see uh, I see your email, but I don't recognize it. And it says, uh do you want to do you can we do this and and we have a lot of kooks emailing us and i have no idea what you're writing about so i wrote what and you wrote podcast and then i'm like and i'm with my daughter and i'm like trying to get vegetables and stuff and i'm like what like come on it and you wrote yeah and then i'm like this woman's crazy or this person's crazy and then chris calls me up and he's like you dumb idiot it's jamie it's jamie lee curtis and i freak out and i write you the long email to explain the show and i send you a link and you look at it and you're like i do not do comedy shows about addiction well no i just didn't want to i didn't want to crack wise about it you know it's 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 not fucking funny. Well, it's life and or I death. Know you may think it's funny. And I I think I, I what I was trying to say is, you know, I tr- I treat this really seriously. This is the single greatest thing I will ever do in my life if I manage to stay sober until I die. Right. No, no. And I and, and I I don't So I I was worried that it was sort of a comedy show, you know. And you were like, no, 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 no. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. No, but Whatever. it's... Well, I'm on your show. It's one of my Here favorite... It's one of my favorite stories, because I just think it's well, so funny. Well, I, I love this story, and, 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 and I'm not on your show because your friend died. But I'm on your show... I am on your show... To be supportive of you. Well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm actually on this show today because I, I wanted to support his memory and your friendship, and um, and that's why I'm on the show. Well, I really appreciate that, and I think it's really beautiful. And I think I think the fact that you take your recovery have you ever had people cry on your show before? I didn't know you were really crying. No, I don't think I've ever had anybody cry on my show. Oh, Are you, okay, good. Well, the, good. So then the whole idea of um, not wanting to make a joke about it right. is good, you know? No, I, I understand what you're saying. And we only... The, the, it's not funny. No, and it's not funny that my... I, I lost two of my best friends over the summer, and, uh, and, it, and it rocked me, and it still rocks me. Um, it's not funny and it, and it destroyed my life and being sober is the greatest thing that I've ever done because I get to have my family now and I get to be yeah. free and, and I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But, and our purpose wasn't to crack wise. Our purpose was to show that you could have fun in recovery. That oh, was our listen, purpose. We, we're all doing it for fun and for free. Right on. You know, we are not a glum lot. No. Sometimes, we are not a glum lot. Sometimes it's a dumb lot. <laughs> Say again? I said sometimes a dumb lot, but not oh, a glum yeah. lot. Totally. Um, uh, and, and sometimes it's a dumb luck. Yes. But 
we are not a glum lot of people. We are all trying to live our lives just plain and sober. That's the, you know, and, and everything that is involved with life. Laughter, tears, profound depression, profound elation, you know, um, manic amounts of work, unemployment, all of it. Like, we're all trying to figure this out. And so I understand your show isn't about cracking wise. It's about celebrating the fact that you can actually still laugh when you're sober. Exactly. It's exactly what and it's I'm, about. And I'm very happy. Um, I mean, I kind of knew that's what you were trying to do, but nonetheless, I, I, I treat it so seriously that I think you, you made me a little gun shy. I don't, I listen. And then, your, and then your friend died. Yeah. And then my understanding shifted because that's, that's a, a grim reality that happens so often, so in so many places, in so many um, circumstances and people's walks of lives that are, are similar and different and wildly... The pendulum swings um, in every direction, economically, socioeconomically, culturally, you know, financially, racially, religiously. There is it, it is a it is a uh, rapacious creditor. You know, it is it will it will fucking it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't give a shit. It will it destroy you. It doesn't give a shit. No, that's for sure. It destroy you. And all you have to do is look down for one second, which is what happened to Chris. You know, he had uh, four years. He was a PhD student. He had a beautiful girlfriend. He managed a sober house. He had the greatest recovery podcast in the history of podcasts. And still he, he you know, he gave up uh, his meetings. You know, he gave up his, his spiritual life and, uh, and it all kind of came crashing down, and he didn't even notice it because it was his old life that kind of reappeared. And never did he, con- even though he knew everybody died, never did he consider that it was going to happen to him. You know, um, I don't think I, I can't get into his head, but I don't. I think he could, he thought he could make it. I thought he could ride it out. Um, I am talking to you uh, during the week since in recovery we celebrate our recovery anniversaries for a sort of, you know, a calendar week Um, because we, if we're doing this correctly or if we're doing this thoroughly, let me say, we, we attend more than one meeting and so you try to, you know, go around to the group of people that you have spent a lot of time with to celebrate the, the, you know, passing of the clock you know, when you're, when you're having a recovery anniversary. And this is the week, although, what is the date? It's the seventh, four days ago was my actual sober birthday. But I am 20 years sober Amazing. this week. Amazing. And That's my, my... clapping with the phone in my hand. Oh, uh, well, I've already cried on your show. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think it's over. That's it? But... No, no, it's all good. My sister, um, who's been a very loving, um, very clear and loving support to me uh, as I have trudged the road of happy destiny in my recovery, um, gave me uh, a a little notebook 
that says, remember why you started. Mm. Which is such an amazing um, gift to, to, to remember why. Remember what, ha- what you know, uh, uh, what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. But what happened? What happened? How is it possible that you and I are talking and both of us, independent of each other, had some moment that shifted our consciousness, our lives, our willingness, our surrender, our every being, our every old trick in the book that we used to employ to get through a day. How is it possible that something shifted in our lives in that instant, because it is a moment of clarity that then propels you down a different road. Yeah. And yeah. for anybody listening, my moment of clarity or my level of, you know, I'm a very high bottom um, uh, in re- recovery circles, I refer to myself as an Everest bottom. Nice. I'm a really high bottom. What was your moment really of clarity that, like? What, where did it come well, from? Well, my moment of clarity was merely my understanding that I was about to die or a friend of mine was going to die. And either I was going to die and she would be at my funeral uh, hugging my kids with blood on her hands or vice versa. Or I would be at hers with her kids and I would have blood on mine because I went to her for some help. Uh, you know, kind of like with my, I, I could barely get the words out. And it turned out that she was having the same problem I was having. And it was with opiates. I, and what I read was that you, you, you wound up, and forgive and correct me if I'm wrong, because I read it on some probably not substantial. Actually, you just tell me that it happened, because I'm going to get it wrong. Tell me the story. Okay, I mean, I mean it's, it's simply that. I went to a friend who I thought was sober to say that I was really struggling with opiates. And she, in fact, was having the same problem. Not even, but for her, it wasn't a problem. For her, it was a solution. Right. And she was like, me too, isn't it amazing? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not a problem, it's amazing. And she happened to have a doctor who would write you script. And at the time, I didn't have that. And it was, you know, um, uh, it was a little bit of manipulation on my part to get my hands on some, but I mean, I was lucky they weren't available on the internet um, because I'd be dead. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I went to her for help and I got the number of a doctor who would basically, I could say my back hurts and he would give me script. And I left her house thinking, okay, this is the greatest news. My old friend, we reconnected. We used to party back in the day. Now we're going to be able to party in the day now, we both have little kids. This is fantastic news. You found the solution at that moment. That was the solution to I your life. I thought that was the greatest. I thought, I've come asking for help, and I'm leaving with the name of a doctor. This is great. <laughs> this is, like, the best day. I have arrived. By the way, and a handful of bikes in my pocket. Right. And, um... And it was that night and morning when I woke up, um... Not necessarily a legitimate dream, but I had an understanding, that moment of clarity, that we were just 
full of shit. That we were addicts. Here we were, these famous women with everything in the world you could ever want. And we were tied to a sinking, you know, block of concrete. And, and it was clear to me in that moment. And then that I have been sober since that day. So that was February 3rd, 1999. And, and, and what did you do with the pills? Did you throw them away? Did you get, did you get going to withdraw? What was this? What was the experience? Oh, no, 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 no. I tossed every, I cold turkeyed everything. And by the way, I only had a handful of pills at that point from her. I got rid of them. Um, and I, I, I literally called, uh, I called, weirdly enough. It's so funny how this works. The only sober person I knew. <laughs> Which is crazy to say out loud. Tell me. I only knew one sober person. Uh-huh. And who was it? Richard L. He is the man. He is He's the man. a good friend of mine. And, um, a genius, uh, the, one of the funniest. And I loved watching and, you guys on TV together when I was a kid. And he, I called him and I said, I'm in trouble. And he said, okay. And I said, I'm afraid to walk into a room by myself. I feel like I'm just going to be a, you know, I'm well known and I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed and whatever. And I said it would really help if I could go with somebody who also is well-known. And, it, it, you know, I just wouldn't feel like such a target. And, um, and you know, uh, he said, stay where you are. And the phone rang 10 minutes later and somebody called me and she took me to a meeting. And, and I've been sober since that day. And I need to say this because, you know, the target thing, you know, when you're a public person and you admit flaws and foibles and vulnerability on a public level um, regardless of the fact that it is an anonymous program mm -hmm. there is currency we all love when famous people admit their flaws and foibles and, and vulnerabilities publicly and we really love it when they struggle and and often stumble it you know there's perverse pleasure in the tabloid society that we live in right watching and a celebrity fuck up gives the normal person some sort of satisfaction sort of right and you know when you're when you are in recovery which is supposed to be an anonymous program and you know that it's not going to be anonymous because you are by nature going to be talked about it's just you know and it it it, it was it, it will always be a little bit of a struggle for me i i mean i've certainly now very much outed myself right i outed myself when i first got when i first got sober i didn't and i was very concerned that i would be betrayed and my anonymity would be um broken so what changed wasn't. so what changed it wasn't. So that changed. You had, you trusted, right you started to trust it. the people in the program, the people around well, then you. Well, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, okay, so they're not betraying my, my trust here. But I also, I outed myself in a national magazine because I was doing an interview 
for a woman's magazine about one of the books for children that I write. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were talking and I was saying how much better my life was, how much better my relationship with my daughter was, my husband, my family. And she just very casually said, well, what do you attribute that to? Not digging. Right. Not, like, not goading me into anything. Just asking the question. And, and I remember she asked the question, and I remember I looked at my daughter, and then I looked at the woman, and I said, well, I think primarily it's because I've been sober for two years. And, you know, at that moment, her eyes bugged out of her head like, like Roger Rabbit. And I said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to tell you that the, the, the result of the sobriety is just clarity and connection and, and relationships, and they're better. <laughs> and uh, so I outed myself before, you know, a tabloid got a hold of it. Well, recently in October, you did that, that big people story on, your well, opi- on the opioid yeah. addiction. Yes, except it was not intended. It was, first of all, not a cover story to begin with. It was a profile um, when Halloween was coming out right. in the theaters. You know, me at home with my dog and my people and the movie and sobriety. Because, of course, sobriety is is the most important part of my life. Well, it makes everything and, else possible. But it was the article, the, the story was not my sober life. It was just my life and I'm sober. And so then they came back to me and said, we would like to expand this, you know, where we need to talk about it a little more. And I did so. I think that with this opioid pandemic and with everyone dying from this fentanyl being in everything now, I think people like you coming out and, and, and talking about how you didn't how you figured out how to live without it is, is incredibly inspiring, which is also one of the reasons that I really wanted you to, to come on Dopey and and. You know, and lay it down a little bit. Lay it down about your recovery. Because it, it gives our show uh, validation, but also it, it carries the message that somebody as accomplished as you uh, had struggled and learned how to get past it. You know, and I think that's a really good and message. And I appreciate that, but the truth is, I came on your show as a dope fiend. I appreciate that a public person can, you know, talk publicly about a personal issue. And that someone else, I would, can I tell, do I have time to tell you one more tiny story? I could, yeah, we've got plenty of time. I, well, I don't know how long, I, how long do we do this? Uh, we do it for until you're like, Dave, I don't want to do this anymore. And then we stop doing oh, it. Oh, I love that. So here's a crucial part of this. So many people will say, well, I can't relate to her. She's, you know, wealthy and she's, you know. Gorgeous and, and brilliant. And, oh, yeah. Come on. Well, uh, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, I can understand why people would, even though I feel like I've spent my life trying to have people relate to me, I write books for children, specifically with relating to children, how you feel, but ultimately I can understand how someone will go, eh, I don't relate to her so much. So here's the deal. I had a moment of clarity, but prior to that moment of clarity, somehow I got a issue in 19, January 1999 Esquire magazine with an article written by a writer named Tom Chiarella that was called Vicodin 
my Vicodin. And in it, in the preface of the article, and 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 um, in fact, um, hold on. Let me what are you doing? Found it. So here is the opening of the article that he wrote. Vicodin, my Vicodin. I lose my checkbook once a week. I have no idea where my passport is or my birth certificate or the photographs from my wedding. I can't remember where I spent last Christmas, but I know where all my Vicodin are. When I read that... Keep going. I like this. I'm sorry? I like this. Keep going. But I know where all my Vicodin are. There's one Vicodin in the breast pocket of my black suit, six in my dress desk drawer at work, two in my golf bag, and 33 in the bottle in my medicine cabinet. There's a half of one in the bottle of Tylenol in the downstairs bathroom, four in the glove box of my black car, six in my white car, and one on top of a paint can in the basement. Last week, my wife vacuumed a Vicodin off the floor of our bedroom. She told me about it at dinner that night. She said, if you dig that out, she said, we'll know you have a problem. (laughs) I haven't. Not yet. Vicodin, my Vicodin, is a wet pleasure if there ever was one. And it continues to go on and on. And when he said, I know where all my Vicodin are, I thought, oh, someone else is just like me. Right. They hide their Vicodin all over the house. And even on the Vicodin, they know where each Vicodin is, which which takes some doing. that, that obsession and commitment to the opiate made me realize I wasn't alone. And I read that article in January of 1999. And I guarantee you, that man outing himself in an article in a national magazine that you know and I know that the minute he hit send or mailed it to his editor because it was in 1999 was the internet invented by then? I think it was but only Al Gore was using it. Okay. That was a joke. Hold on. Fuck off. Sorry. I'm trying to talk to my computer at the same time. Uh, In that moment... Tom's life was going to change because he was never going to be able to get them from doctors again. His wife was going to know everything. You know what I mean? His boss was going to know. His family was going to know. His friends were going to know. And his gift to me, a, a woman he's never met, he made me realize that there was something really fucked up about a love affair with an opiate. And that that was something I needed to look in the mirror. Right. But that couldn't and have been the that, thing that brought you to your knees on this thing, right? That could, exactly. So that was January 1999, and I went to my friend February 2nd, 1999. And, you know, that honesty or that looking in the mirror and going, oh, wow. Okay, that's who you are. You got to do something. You know, is ultimate. Okay, I'm going to shut up. 
I have to say, uh, I have to say, because I don't know when you're going to get off the phone or whatever, but I just love your work so much. Like, I have to say that that Trading Places was probably my favorite movie ever made, and it's such a genius movie. It's it's just a compelling story. Like it's like it's, it's like a comedy, but it's so meaningful, and nobody makes movies like that anymore. And you're so and A Fish Called Wanda, and you were in these amazing movies that don't get made anymore. And and, and it's like well, you did some cool stuff, you know. Uh, wh- listen, I've done more cool stuff in my life than I ever thought I would do but you have to understand something none of those things, those cool things really had anything to do with me I mean, did I show up and do the work? Of course what I'm saying is, sobriety is mine like, that I earned the rest of it, they hired me they thought I was cute, I did a good job you were funny though it was funny, it was cute, oh that's all great but you see Books I write come from my brain. Right. But so does your performance, though. Your performances came from your okay, brain. I know, but but it's a performance. You know, my my wife, look, my wife, her best friend uh, went to. You know, th- we have kids the same age. Her best friend and us, and they were in the How same kind of. I have I have a girl. Well, my girl is eight. I have one girl who's eight, and I have another girl who's uh, eight months. And uh, when they were both five, they were in first grade, and her best friend goes to to be the mystery reader in their first grade class. And she reads, Is There Really a Human Race? Uh, Which is one of your children's books. And it killed the room. The kids loved it. And uh, and you really do make a difference to these people, and you really get to, I mean, you live a life beyond the wildest dreams, and uh, I just think it's really cool. My best creative thing are the books that I write because they are, they the whole thing, come, I mean, you know, they come from my head. Like, I think of them, I write them, and then my partner, Laura Cornell, illustrates them. But they start with me in my head. And this is a book, Is There Really a Human Race? Because my little boy, Tom, came home one day from school, and he's a very literal kid. And he had tears in his eyes. And I remember I was like, Tom, what's going on? And he looked at me and he went, is there really a human race? And what he was asking me was, are you fucking kidding me? This is a race? All of this school and friends, it's all a race? And you didn't mention it? That life is nothing but a competition? Mm. And I felt so bad for him. And so I wrote this book that day, Is There Really a Human Race?, which is about competition. But in the middle of the book, the little boy who's asking the question to his mom, is there really a human race? Is it going on now all over the place? The little boy gets really freaked out. If it's, if, if it's is this just like a big dash to the end and are we, Basically, are we all going to crash into each other? Is the whole world going to kind of crash? And then the mom puts her hand up and comforts the kid. And this is what the mom says to the boy. This is what I am saying to you and to the dopey nation. And thank you for having me on your show. This is what the mom says to the boy to calm him down. Makes me cry every time. 
Sometimes it's better not to go fast. They're beautiful sights to be seen when you're last. Shouldn't it be that you just try your best? And that's more important than beating the rest. Shouldn't it be looking back at the end that you judge your own race by the help that you lend? So take what's inside you and make big, bold choices. And for those who can't speak for themselves, use bold voices and make friends and love well and bring art to this place and make the world better for the whole human race. God bless you all. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good night. Thank you. Take care. Take care. So how crazy is that? Jamie Lee Curtis coming on Dopey after fucking three years. It's amazing. What is also amazing is that um, since Chris died, my friend Sam has been a participant. Sam had listened to Dopey since the beginning, and I met Sam at rehab uh, many years ago. He's on the phone, actually. Let's just get to that. Sam, what's up? Uh, Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. When do we meet? We met in 2003, Dave, March 23rd, 2003, Delray Beach, Florida. Yeah, we were were in treatment in a place called Renaissance, and to punish me, they made me stay in Sam's room. Mm -hmm. It was something like that, right? For some reason, yeah. Like, I think that they had singled me out as a troublemaker, and you were already a well-established troublemaker. So I think they were trying to set us up for, like, maybe, like, a possible relapse and a possible you know, leaving against medical advice. You know, I think they were, they were really trying to set us up is what I believe now. Well, that we were going to do something stupid and then they could, you know, swoop in and say, we told you so because you're a grandiose motherfucker and you're trying to run the show, but you can't do that anymore because you've had so many chances and you fucked every one of them up. So now you have to do what we're telling you because we're the experts and, um, just do what we say. Well, whatever the case, that was a long time ago. And Sam and I wound up hanging out like most every day in Florida. We worked uh, on a moving truck. We fucking went to the beach. We we would drive to different places and eat incredible Floridian Cuban food. And then like Sam and I like have been in and out of touch for many years for like just 2003 for 15 years. And when we, me and Chris started doing Dopey, I, I turned Sam on to it, and Sam kind of helped out. He wrote us a press release, and he was in and out listening, and he'd always give me criticism. And then when Chris died, Sam was, uh, you know, he felt very, you felt bad that Chris died. Um, that was horrible. Yeah, I lost it. You know, and I think just like everybody else that that had been listening to the show, although I was connected to you, I felt that really deep connection to Chris. I felt. Uh, like he was a tr- like a true brother in recovery. He was a, just a classic smart guy, but also an insane dumb shit, and who had just all the really like the qualities that you know I would look for in a friend. And I think that that's that's pretty. I can probably safely say that that's how everybody viewed him, too. Well, Sam had the the he, he quoted the expression uh, that me and Chris were like the smart. What was the expression you always said? You guys were the smartest dumb guys in podcasting yeah we were the smartest idiots of podcasting and <laughs> and and sam always pitched in and then when chris died sam uh pitched in more and uh he kind of like would listen to this stuff and give good criticism and uh and then sam relapsed and and disappeared uh 
And um, you want to talk that through for a second? Are we are we giving too much too much backstory to the fact that you're in the hospital now? No, I don't think so because this was only just last August. Um, but nice tease on the hospital. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about that uh, relapse. So for the last three years, almost like clockwork, I had be, been I have relapsed on alcohol, primarily vodka, and it was just one of those things. It was the urge in the middle of the afternoon or mid morning, and it was because I was feeling great and the sun was out and I was you know happy to be alive, or I felt incredibly lonely and sad. It didn't matter what the emotion was that triggered the relapse, but you know, I found myself at the liquor store um, really planning for to dig in deep to a like from a five to say twelve day you know drinking binge. And so that was my last one in late August. Um, and that's exactly what it was. I think this one was like an eight day um, relapse on vodka. And, um, and it just, it kicks my ass every time all those, it it was sort of like six, six months, like clockwork, I would relapse, I would start to feel better, I might, you know, my self esteem would come back and my insecurities would go away. And then just, I would just fuck it all up, I would totally sabotage. And, um, and when I say that it, it just wreaked havoc is that it really did, I would throw up so so many times and i just felt like i was throwing up my esoph- entire esophagus was coming up there was no blood but it was just a really brutal brutal time and the coming down from it you know after i decided that it was over was just brutal you know and i should have been hospitalized for those i really think i should be on librium or whatever you know right so well, a my- dangerous time in itself my my point with the whole thing was that when you he when he came out of the relapse he was like, you know, he was, Sam was like very shamed and like felt sh- like shit. And he also knew that like he was supposed to be helping with the show and he had disappeared and blah, blah, blah. And when he came you down, well, it wasn't such a big letdown. We hadn't worked together that long. And, you know, and, and, you know, addicts relapse sometimes and alcoholics relapse sometimes. And like, what the fuck am I going to do? Anyway, the point is that when you settled in after the relapse, you were like, I really want to work on the show. And you said that you thought working on the show would help in your recovery, um, which I liked, you know. And, and, and it has proven to do so because, you know, as you know, and I don't know if Dopey Nations uh, knows it or if I we've talked about this, but I, I just really don't enjoy meetings. Um, I first got sober in 1994 and went to treatment and subsequent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of meetings and, um, really found them useful there and did step work in 1994 and 95 and had six years of sobriety. And then I relapsed. And then I had another chunk of 60 years where, um, same thing, just went to ton of meetings. Um, I lived in a men's sober envir- living environment and went to, you know, a meeting every day for six months. And so I feel like I've done my share. I just find them less useful than other people do. And so I've been working with you, Dave, on Dopey. Um, I have recovery staring me in the face. I do talk to a, a you know, um, addict in recovery every day. I do the majority of the things that are suggestions. I just don't go to the meetings. Right. And I think that like, um, 
you know, Sam has been very helpful in, in like making the show flow and giving me feedback and dealing with my insanity of anxiety about the show and what's happening and what's not happening. And also just giving me an outlet to talk about it because nobody else wants to fucking talk about Dopey every day. And luckily, luckily, Sam has some kind of interest in it. Now, um, so we were chugging along and doing some work and blah, 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 when all of a sudden Sam kind of disappears and I'm like, what the fuck? And I was sure he had relapsed. And before Sam relapsed on alcohol all the time, Sam was a, you know, a bad, you know, crack addict, cocaine addict. And um, and you never know what the fuck is going to happen. But Sam kind of... You never know. Sam, yeah. Sam went on some trip to Joshua Tree and he came back with the flu. And, and then... This is over Christmas. Yeah. And then he, he was kind of in and out, right? You were yeah. like... And I, and I, I was certain... That you had relapsed, you know, because you were doing stuff, you you were doing stuff that was like uncharacteristic of you. And, um, and, and, and I always have Chris's death staring me in the face now. And everyone's like, well, why didn't you know this? And why didn't you know that? And, uh, and here you're like, why didn't you confront him earlier? All that business, right? You know, I did though. I I did confront him the same way I confronted you. Like, yeah. I'm willing to say, what's going on? Are you using? But if somebody says no, I, I, what else am I going to fucking do? Right, right. And I'm on the other coast. It's not like you can, you know, pop in and, you know, give me your own personal welfare check, you know? Oh, whatever. You I mean, like, take my word for it. The yeah. only person that I could I could really accuse of using and know that they actually were using, even if they said they weren't, was Todd. Every time right. Todd told me he wasn't using, I knew he was lying. But it, I mean, Todd was always using, so it's easy to know he was lying. But yeah. it turned out that uh, Sam got really sick. Why don't Why don't you tell tell the Dopey Nation what the fuck happened to you? And Sam's yeah, lying in a ho- you're lying in a hospital bed now, right? Yeah, I'm currently uh, telling this tale from uh, the third floor of the Surge Med wing of Ventura County Medical Center. And this is my ninth day in the hospital. Uh, I came, from what I am told, you know, uh, really close to dying. And that every professional that I've seen has said this the best. I will never regret this decision to come into the emergency room. So um, anyway, that's where I am now, and I'll back it up and start with um, what where Dave was. So over Christmas, I, uh, after Christmas, I went to Joshua Tree with uh, some friends and family, and I got I started getting sick. I started getting this respiratory thing and feverish, and um, I thought I had just a cold. So I treated it with just over-the-counter meds, Alka-Seltzer, cold medicine, Theraflu. Those are my go-to things. And seven days later, I started to feel better. And so I just went about my business. Um, that, you know, I came back, Dave. I came back in the fold. I don't know if you remember. There was a window. Yeah, I remember. There was like, yeah, there was like a week where I was feeling pretty good. And then uh, I, I just got hit. Then I got hit by a freight train. So what happened is I got the flu. And then that flu sort of uh, was uh, – I I, I got – what happened is I got pneumonia. So there was sort of a latent uh, uh, bacteria of pneumonia that was festering and building on top of the flu that I was recovering from. So um, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was – had high fevers, uh, really bad cough, shortness of breath. 
uh, and it was a really crazy experience. So, um, so I felt horrible for a week and I, it was really hard for me to talk on the phone because I have shortness of breath and I was, and Dave would call and sometimes I would answer and other times I would just, um, keep the, the conversations really short and he was concerned about me and all the while, I mean, and fair enough because you knew my pattern for the last three years that every six months I would relapse and I was right on target. Right, Dave? Yeah, man. It was six months later. Yeah, it was six months almost to the day. So so anyway, I get the, you know, I, I feel like shit. And I was just really operating on the on the, the, the hopeful plan of wishful thinking that every day, every morning I was going to wake up and I was going to be fine. But I just wasn't. So a weekend. Not to mention, mess. though, you, you smoked cigarettes through the whole thing, right? I am a smoker. I was a smoker. Um and I would smoke. I was smoking fewer cigarettes, but yeah, for sure, I was still smoking, as asshole addict sm- smoking addicts do. They smoke cigarettes it's, it, through illness or whatever. It I smoke. I smoked cigarettes through every lung ailment I ever had. You know, yeah. so I mean, I could relate. I'm just saying, like, I'm sure that was part of the flu turning into pneumonia and the pneumonia not dissipating. No, it certainly didn't help matters, right. and it never does. It doesn't help anything ever. It's probably the single worst thing that you can do besides, you know, IV drugs and drinking alcoholically, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably – it's right up there. Smoking cigarettes, there are no – there is no upside to smoking tobacco. So um, so anyway, uh, just wasn't getting better. wasn't getting better. Went to the urgent care um, – Saw the doctor, was diagnosed with a pneumonia, and he sent me away with a uh, pretty high dose of a five-day course of antibiotics, an inhaler of albuterol, and um, some cough syrup. That was a five-day course. After those five days, absolutely nothing happened. I thought that I just needed a couple more days, and again, with a wishful thinking, thinking that I was going to get better. So that was two weeks ago this Sunday. Um and um, that the course of antibiotics ran out. Then I um, had a really gnarly experience on Tuesday where I couldn't catch my breath for about two hours, and I was just about to call the ambulance uh, to come get me and take me to the hospital, but I wrote it out, being stubborn, being just ridiculous. Um, That's when I should have gone, but it wasn't until two days later that I actually was able to take a shower, clean myself up, get in the car and drive myself to the emergency room of this hospital where I currently am. And so to cut this story short, to not make a long story short, but just cut it short, um, what I have been diagnosed with is a uh, condition called pulmonary empyemas. And they are these sort of, for lack of a better Sounds word, like a delicious Mexican food. It's it, it's very funny. So that my my family has loved saying that word because everybody gets it wrong, except my nephew's girlfriend is a nurse and she's the one that sort of corrects us all. So it's empyema, and what they are there's they're in between the outer lung wall and the rib cage is this space which was really hardly a space at all, but they call call it a plural space. And I've learned so much medically, I feel very smart. And um, so it's called the pleural space. And in that tiny little space where the lung expands and contracts and hits the rib cage, these 
I had such bad pneumonia that usually the bacterial pneumonia is able to, you know, get absorbed into the lungs and then throughout the body and dissipated and excreted. And otherwise, then that's how it goes away in typical pneumonia. But mine was so bad and so thick in my lungs that it passed through, through the membrane of my lung sac and then into that pleural space uh, against the rib cage and formed these these sort of pockets of bacteria that um, wall themselves off, off and become these little um, abscesses, and, and in my case, very large abscesses, So, um, which is nasty, yeah. which is really nasty. They're not supposed to be there. So I got to the hospital and Thursday, and then Friday of last week, I um, had a procedure where they put a tube into my through my ribs into my rib cage and have four uh, sort of uh, straws that go out throughout the largest one of these pus pockets. And uh, it, they've been draining it ever since. And um, so if you can imagine a space that is not really a space at all that has a liter and a half of bacterial infected fluid uh, has been drawn out so far. So they're just fucking draining this nasty shit out of your lungs for this week. That's that's correct. Actually, yesterday they did take the tube out of the drain mode and they put in medicine, which they call clot busters. So they actually use similar medicine for people that have had strokes and or if you have aneurysms, it's a blood thinner. So they blasted it with 100 milliliters of this medicinal fluid that breaks up the last pesky hard chunks of pus wow. that are like nasty, nasty scabs. And, and so that's worked. And now you're and on the now you're on the mend. And since yeah. this is not dopey, the podcast about <laughs> empanadas or whatever the fuck it is. Empayimas. Uh, and I'm sorry, Dopey Nation, if that story went on way too rambly and way too graphic. No, it's just but, it is what it is. I think the interesting yeah. thing is that when you use drugs, most of the drugs uh, were going right into your lungs anyway. And right. and you know you're a smoker, so like it just. I don't know. Whenever I, I, I have to be in the hospital or I have to be around my health, I start to think about all the things that I did to kind of fuck myself up. And when you were in this situation, all I could think of were, you know, because Sam was a terrible crack smoker for a long time, you know, and um, so and a pot smoker for like two and a half decades. Exactly. So like. Yeah. Doesn't it? Didn't it like remind you of all of the fucking damage that you had done? Like here you are with a fucking tube jammed into your lungs through the ribs. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not even coming through your mouth. They're just fucking poke a fucking hole, and uh, it just reminds yeah, through, me through the rib cage. And yeah, it was brutal. Um, so it made me think about all the drugs that you probably did, and 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 all of the um, you know, the past relapses for the for many years have been alcohol based. What was the last time that you uh, that you did drugs? Um, so, yeah, so yeah, that takes us back to, to back to Florida, and um, and our time there. And um, yeah, one thing that, that when you were talking about and sort of setting up that um, our introduction when we first met there um, is one thing that I did want to say is that you were, you were definitely my best friend when we were down there. And I had, when you left, I had such resentment towards you and it took me, you know, years 
to sort of get over that because I felt like you completely abandoned me. I had like to go. Were, I had to fucking go, I, man. You, I, I know I, you had to go and do your shit. Yeah. I just couldn't stay there. You know, I hated it there. And as much as I enjoyed like hanging out, I needed to get, I mean, I needed to get back to using drugs more than anything, you know, but that, that's what it was. Well, no, but I didn't want to fucking live in Florida. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I just didn't, I wasn't going to stay there. You know, I made that clear. Um, yeah. It wasn't going to happen. But anyway, continue. No, I, and I didn't want to either. And, but I, but I didn't have an option. I had to save as much money as I could to get me to, to get me out of there and to whatever was going to come next. But so anyway, so, um, I think we both had a bunch of really funky jobs, you know, recovery jobs in a really fucked up part of the world, um, you know, and they weren't that easy to come by necessarily. So, but, but one of my, you know, half a dozen jobs that I had in my 14 months in Florida was selling Christmas trees. Uh huh. And we lived, we lived in one of like these rehab towns. We lived in Delray where there was like 15 rehabs there and any place that you go to work, it's like all populated with people in and out of recovery. The coffee shop was called one cup at a time. It was fucking re re, it was rehab land, you know, it was, it was. And that, and that's right where they shot, you know, um, uh, Dove Sick Nation. Dove Sick Nation. Yeah. So it's all right there. And it's really, you know, it was a huge recovery world when we were there. And I'm sure it's only gotten larger. Right. You know, so, which it just has the, the potential to be just that much more fucked up, as we all know, and for things to go completely wrong. So anyway, so this I, I, I got this job. I think it was like December 1st, really. People, they were just sort of starting this um, Christmas tree lot. Uh, the There was a nice young couple. They were younger than I was that were, you know, managing and running a lot. They hired me on the spot and it actually turned out to be a really great job because everybody, uh, you know, obviously they ever been, if you ever bought a tree, you're sort of excited to go to the Christmas tree lot and buy it, pick out the perfect tree for your family. And, um, so everybody was in a good spirit and everybody was really generous. So I made actually really good rehab money when I was working there, you know, I'd get it like a $4 an hour salary and then I'd walk away with a hundred bucks in tips. So it was great. I loved, I loved using the chainsaw, you know, giving everybody a fresh cut, a jam, the, you know, the tree through the netting machine. And then I, you know, I was getting really fit too. And then I take care of the tree and throw it on the station wagon, tie it off. And, you know, it was great. So I had that job for, you know, the entire month of December up until, you know, Christmas. So the last night, obviously, is Christmas Eve. And I work a big, giant New Year's Eve shift. And one of the kids that I worked with um, was, I didn't know if he was in recovery, and I didn't think so. And I just was feeling really sad because this this job was coming to an end. I was nowhere near any of my family. You were gone. I had just maybe a couple, you know, people that I could call friends and, and could, you know, sort of trust. And, um, and that was it. And so at the end of the, at the end of the shift, I asked this kid if he could find me some crack because that was the night that I was going to, uh, relapse Christmas Eve. I just decided that I'm just that sad. Crack Miss Eve for you. Christmas Eve. Yeah. And I felt like I deserve it. If they're, you know, if I'm the guy that gets to do this, it's not really a relapse because it's Christmas Eve and I'm alone. You know, I was just making every excuse under the sun. So anyway, I gave him a Wait, wait. Box. So it's not, it's not a relapse because it's Christmas Eve. 
Right. Okay. Well, you know, that was my rationale. I'm right. an asshole and an idiot. It was like your yeah. Christmas present to you. It was completely my Christmas present to myself. So I gave the kid a hundred bucks. He said, yeah, he did. He said that he could, um, if I gave him a hundred bucks, he could meet me back at my apartment, which was in Boynton beach. Uh, so I rode my bike. I only had a bike. I didn't have a driver's license. That's a really funny story because like three of the other jobs that I had involved driving. Yeah. So but we can talk about that later, uh, at a later date. And, uh, so anyway, um, I rode my bike home and I got um, a pint of vodka and then some of that Cisco drink that I think I told about, which is like that crazy, fruity, colored wine drink that knocks you knocks you off your ass. And so the, anyway, the kid came over about an hour later. He had a hundred bucks worth of crack and it was real crack. And I sat my I made a crack pipe out of foil, smoked that up, didn't leave my room for two and a half days through Christmas didn't make any phone calls to my parents or family um, and uh, it was a that was a horrible experience one of the saddest moments of my life and and that was the last time I used crack or any heavy drug and why do you suppose in all of these years with all of these relapses that you haven't picked up a drug again like you, why why do you suppose you it transitioned just to alcohol based relapses and, well, you know, I'm not a huge thumper, uh, you know, big book thumper or, you know, sayer of slogans. Right. But I think that like the obsession, literally the obsession for that specific drug for crack and, and powder cocaine was lifted by the grace of God. Oh, come on. Right. There's no other reason. Oh, give me a break. It was, come on. <laughs> but how did it, but it got replaced with the obsession to drink clear liquids that get you fucking obliterated. Well, but but it wasn't crack. So your question was, why do I think over the years of then the following, you know, fifteen years over the, you know, the dozen relapses that I've had, it's right. just been alcohol, and I haven't gone out to the streets looking for crack. So you say it's the grace of God, go you. Yeah, and you think that's really funny because you know how I, I hate so much how I hate the saying so much. Yeah. Well, that's I think why, that's I think why you're disputing me. No, I just think it's fascinating because you were I think I think you explain yourself well because you're a crackhead and when you get super drunk, you can't really decide what you're going to do. It's kind of just going to happen. So the <laughs> fact that it didn't happen, I think your explanation is totally well taken, you know, and it's great. You know, last time you when you have your relapses on alcohol, the last time you had it, is there even a fleeting thought about cocaine or crack or anything? Never. No, it's about setting myself up for that day and then safely securing alcohol for the next day, whether that's through, a, uh, you know, a taxi or am I going to be OK, but like on the morning of day two uh, to sort of sober up enough and, and feel like I'm not a danger to anybody <clears throat> on the road. You know, it's it's very it's sort of clinical, you know, as you know, how I'm going to secure the alcohol, because all I'm all I'm doing this for, Dave, is what it, it seems like is just escape. I just want to escape every six months. I just want to stick my head in the ground. But I, I and I wish it, it could have been that simple. So the you know, the alcoholic equivalent is just passing out, getting as fucked up as fast as I can and passing out and staying passed out and blacked out. Until I can't do it anymore. And what's and the thing? What's the thing that makes it so you can't do it anymore? I don't. It, it's really the throwing up and the wear and tear on the body. I mean, because you know, by days 
five, six, and seven, you know, I can barely, you know, take a drink without throwing it up. Right. You know, so I'll throw up just so then I can do another shot. Right. It's really disgusting. Right. Like in the in the throes of it when it's that bad. It is so ugly. Right. It's it's yeah, it's disgusting. I think it's and also painful. it's also interesting to me. Oh yeah, throwing up is I mean throwing up on dope for some reason isn't painful. Throwing up on dope it's like this I mean I I always enjoyed it because you felt like this nausea and then you'd throw up and you'd feel better. Like I remember yeah. like when I would do dope um, in the beginning, how much I looked forward to throwing up or like if I'd be in the car and I was high on dope, I would like, I would literally, it, it reminded me of that Monty Python in the, the, the meaning of life. You ever see that movie? Mm-hmm. And you know where the fat guy comes into the restaurant and he's like, get me a bucket. I want to throw up guy, <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Creosote. And he just yeah, like, and then doesn't, doesn't the waiter come in? But sir, just one more. It's way for thin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he winds up, you know, he would open his mouth and it would be like a fucking jet stream of vomit. And th- and it was just very casual vomiting. Right. And that's yes. what vomiting on dope was like, too. Like, you know, I'd get in the car and I'd feel nauseous and I would just sort of open the door and I'd stick my head out and I'd just vomit like that. It was just not have a casual puke. Yeah. All the time, you know, and, yeah. and then you puke or I'd even like when I was doing dope, I, you know, I would, uh. My my stomach would feel so shitty that I would just literally I was like a fucking bulimic girl. I would go into the bathroom <laughs> and stick my fingers down my throat and puke, and then I'd feel better. You know, yeah. Like it was a real like nausea came a lot with heroin for me. That be that be a good uh, sort of uh, self help um, uh, series that if you did, it's called Casual Puking with Dave. How do you figure? Uh, I just think that it would be sort of a funny bit about. You know, uh, you know, don't get all worked up if you're a junkie and you're puking. Let's make it casual. I have a feeling that most junkies don't. Uh, one thing that I always did was I ate Tums all the time, and I would mm-hmm. often go to health stores and buy this papaya enzyme, which is delicious. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had papaya enzyme. It's fucking... I have not. It is amazing. And if anyone in the doping... See, we should get papaya enzyme to sponsor the show, because if any if anyone in the doping nation has an upset stomach, go to fucking GNC and get some fucking papaya enzyme. They're delicious. Delicious. What do you do? Just mix it with water and no, you just chew it, and it and it's like uh, it, it makes your stomach feel better, and it's like like candy. It's amazing. Is it like a chewy candy? It's like a. It's almost like it's like a chewable vitamin, but it's all papaya. It's great. You nice. should get some when you get out of the hospital. You should get yourself some papaya. And well, some. I'm looking. I'm looking for anything that's gonna you know make me feel better. You know. On the inside, for sure. Dude, I will try it. Get some fucking papaya enzyme. So we're at that magical point of the show where we reflect back on the past, thanks to uh, good old Mister uh, Wooster out of Boston. Now, as a lot of you probably know, this Wooster is a savior to the show, and it's also really interesting to me. He's a savior to the show because he didn't know. That the This American Life piece came out when uh, he sent me his Chopped and Screwed uh, series. And what Wooster did, did I say that right? Wista? I think they said it's Wista. I thought it was Wooster. Well, I don't know. I'm not from Boston. I, I do my I best to. I it's Wooster because the town is Wooster, sir. 
What is it? I think it's spelled out as Worcester, as as, as like Worcester. Wor, wor, what is the sauce? Worcestershire. Yeah, that's what it's written out as, Worcestershire, but they pronounce it as Wista. Um, but I'm not around it enough to really know. You know, Chris is. And I'm from the West Coast. So you have no I, fucking clue. I have absolutely no idea. Anyway, this man loved Dopey and he cut out 10 episodes called Dopey Chopped and Screwed. And um, and it kind of highlights a lot of the stupid shit that me and Chris talked about on the show, and kind of a lot of the idiosyncratic stuff, and a lot of like a lot of me being mean to Chris. But uh, he sent it to me, I think two weeks before the This American Life, or maybe the week that the This American Life piece came out. And when I heard it, it just like I listen to it all the time. Like I listen to it for fun on my commute uh, because it reminds me of of being with Chris and it reminds me of like the magic that Dopey was in the first place. And, um, and I think that for anybody who's just starting to listen, like to get a little chopped and screwed is like, uh, you know, it's a real taste. You know what I'm saying? Sam, you there? Oh, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Yes. I, I've, I've been actually thinking I've listened to all of them. I've gone to YouTube, um, because he's, uh, cause Worcester, has uploaded in there and I've listened to all of them. And I think that you're at your, which episode are you going to play tonight? We're going to play episode three, which is, uh, which is, uh, the miseducation of Chris, which is like one of the best ones because it's, it's my favorite for sure. Because it just highlights how fucking ridiculous Chris was and how little he knew about everything. It, it's completely goes it is in line with Chris being the dumbest smart guy, you know, in podcasting, you, you included. But, but you know, really, just as much as he knew about you know chemical makeups of every drug on the planet, the fact that he didn't know certain words or sayings uh, just was so classic. I mean, just the, I mean that's one of the most endearing qualities. And this Wusta really selected. You know, in his, you know, chopped and screwed um, episodes, you know, the best of the best of, of that specifically. I think this is top notch. So let's let me I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's just here it is. Chopped and through and screwed episode three. And I love the title. The Miseducation of Chris. If anybody out there in the Dopey Nation is good at like cutting up <laughs> <Anything>. audio, <laughs> Uh, why don't you hit us up? We will hand over the Dopey archives to you, and we can ha- you can create a little audio collage. What you want to do something with those one-liners? So this is like a chopped and screwed episode. So we'll call it the chopped and screwed episode. <laughs> You. Do you think you're so perfect? You make no sense. You can't pronounce most words. You don't make any sense half the time. Did we already do this? I think no, we did this. You did some stick. Okay, we That's don't know. Okay. Chris recently learned the word shtick today. Shtick with an H. She, he, for hours he was saying, Dave, we'll just do some stick. <laughs> Listen, this is the swarves. The what? The swarves. Or the Swartz. The Swartz, like from Spaceballs. It's are you, prepared are you, to that, vape yogurt. Oh, you're such it an is. asshole. It really is, dude. You do this on purpose, I right? I swear to God, it's the Swartz from... Uh, I'm going to fucking show you. Dude! What? 
It's not the Swartz. It's the Schwartz. The you Schwartz. fucking goy. <laughs> Look at it. You can't say shtick and you can't say Schwartz. What's <laughs> what wrong with you? What did I say earlier today? Swartz. That, what did I say earlier today Dude. that you didn't like? I was going to lure somebody back to my apartment. He was going to lure somebody. (laughs) It's like, it's not lure. My friend is actually talking about it. I'm going to lure someone back to my room. I hate the way Chris pronounces the word room. That's not a real Doesn't it have two O's? That's not. (laughs) (laughs) When they loft a bed, they use it to make more room. So the loft, it'll be like right near the ceiling. How can there be room and coffee and room in the apartment? No, you said it wrong. But it's the same use of the word room. Uh, Chris is going to be rocking back and forth any second. I need the food. I need our alu gobi. Makes me excited. It's alu gobi. Alu gobi. We got some Indian food on the way. Listen, if there are any Indians in our listening audience, can you please let us know if it's pronounced gobi or gobi? What is it called? Samosa what? Samosa chat. Do you think the samosa chat existed before champagne and orange juice? That's a mimosa. You oh, that's a... And I slide it underneath, you right? slid it. I slid it in. <laughs> I slid it in. Slid it. So I slid it in underneath the, the divider. He looked at the bars of chocolate he got, and one of them is like this dark chocolate with like peppers in it, like cayenne pepper or something. Dude, it says... Spice chili. Spice chili. It's a canine pepper. <laughs> Is that the way you pronounce cayenne? Let me cayenne? see. Let me, it doesn't even do nothing, huh? It doesn't do anything, though. No. Here we are. In the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You're supposed to say on the Lower East Side. Oh, is it on? Yeah. It feels like there's a lot more energy, a lot more reverb. <laughs> I don't know if I'm using that correctly. You're not. What is it? Isn't a Yeti like a Middle Eastern guy or something? Is that a joke? I swear to God, I'm not joking. It, it amazes me. <laughs> it amazes me how much Chris knows and then how much he doesn't know. I don't know anything about the different strands of weed. <laughs> They're strains. Yeah. The lethality of intravenous drug use. Intra- intravenous? Intravenous? Am I saying that wrong too? Dude, that's your like bread and butter. Intravenous. Intravenous. What's in? Is that a word? No, I don't know. Intravenous drug use. Now, I was going to ask very banal questions about the nature. That's pronounced banal. Is it? It's a Goya. You know what I mean? And so I. I What's Goya? Goya is who makes it. G O Y A. That's who makes. That's a Spanish company. Oh, is it? Maybe it's not Goya. No. Maybe there's a J in there. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's Jua. <laughs> yeah. It um, is not Goya. Kind of like, a, like he's like a handsome man, but he was, he was overweight, and he would take nunchucks and like practice nunchucks. 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 He would, um, yeah, he fucking practiced nunchucks. Then there was the painted face lady. Who did would, you think they were called numchucks? Num. What did I say? Like my face is numb from nunchucks. the anesthetic. I don't know. Nunchucks. N-U-N. Me and this other kid, his name was Jeremy. Would Jeremy? Jeremy. Yeah, we would make make the hoops. not Jeremy. 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 Yes. Yes. Okay. Unless his name is Jeremy. Maybe it was Jeremy. Nobody's name is Jeremy. <laughs> his name is probably Jeremy. Anyway, continue. Or how about when that other guy emailed us and he thought Jeremy was part of the show? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hi, Dave, Chris, and Jeremy. That's like one of the... So he clearly listened to one episode. His name is Jeremy. Jeremy. I sang it right. You said Jeremy I again. I sang it right. <laughs> <laughs> I sang it right. <laughs> and then I showed up and I was kind of deterring to Dave because, like, deferring, deferring. to Dave. Deferring to Dave. I'm going straight to Habab. Um, did you say shish kebab? Habab. Habad. Habad. With a D at the end. Habad. Yeah, and they say no, and then they talk about habab. 
And anyways, I talk Can about you not disrespected Habad. by calling it Habab. Habad. It's like crazy disrespect. <laughs> you, to call it Habab. How do you say it? Habad. Habad. Okay, so would you talk to me? About I say like career? you know, is the tag Latel good? What's tag Latel? You know what tag Latel is? Oh mm-hmm. my god! No, I'm not from your tax oh bracket. Oh my god! What's tag Latel? You want like a short rib tag Latel? It's beautiful. What is it? It's a type of pasta. Taglatel? I'm sure you're mispronouncing it. Taglatel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you invite all your Facebook friends to like Dopey. No, I invite certain ones. Certain? Certain. <laughs> While it's coursing through my blood and I'm waiting for it to hit, it's not even the effects that through I like. Through your blood. Yes, through my blood. Can oh, we sh- tell the Dopey Nation where to find them or does that spoil anonymity? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you want... Le Petit Ecolier cookies. Le Petit Ecolier. Ecolier. I think it's a cure. It's le, Ecolier. It means schoolboy. I love Le Petit Ecolier. <laughs> it's Ecolier. Like, this is classic rock now? Classic. I mean, this, is, <laughs> this is classic rock. This is classic rock. <laughs> we met at Abon Pain, whatever. Abon Pain. Abon Pain. <laughs> I need, like, some of those machatas. They're called maracas. Maracas. It's a Wafer. waffle waiting. It's a uh, waffleton. <laughs> <laughs> it's a waffleton. I do a little shtick, a little Japanese shtick. Okay. And say arigato, and I do yeah. stuff like that, you yeah. know? And they like that. Well, arigato. And I, no, you say arigato is how you say it. Arigato is an American thing. Good job, Chris and Dave. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> my, my opinion. Did you really think it was bravo? <laughs> my opinion. <laughs> yeah, Japanese there you bravo. go, ragging on me for Francesca, and then you're beating it's up on a, Francesca. And then you're, what are some of the songs on there? Some Lil Yachty and stuff I think like it's that. pronounced Lil Yachty. Lil Yachty. But they have Reese's Peanut Butter Cups to use Reese's. in lieu. It's not Reese's. In lieu. It's Reese's. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's not Reese's. They it's also Reese's. have Rugula, too, on the side. Uh, so dad, 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 come here. Dad, come here. So we're at the supermarket. This has happened for a year already. We're at the supermarket, and he he's like, oh, I see rugelach. And, he, and I tell him, it's not rugelach, it's rugelach. It's a, a Jewish dessert, and he says, no, Dave, it's Rugula. I said, motherfucker, I'm Jewish and from New York. You're Christian and from Boston. You don't know what it's called. Any English-speaking dope fiend could host your show, and all of the parenting either one of you incorrigible reprobates does is a... Reprobate. 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 Are you sure it's not reprobate? Reprobate. <laughs> we will elucidate the details behind the dopey intern contest. What's the elucidate? Next- Make clear... How can you say elucidate, but you don't know the word reprobate? It's reprobate. Reprobate is not a word. Well, the word for inhaling drugs? Encephalate. You say encephalate and elucidate, but you couldn't even say fucking combative. You were saying combative. <laughs> and you can't say reprobate. You're, something's wrong with you. Reprobate. It's just straight friend, though. Frentanil. Frentanil. So, you are a caring person. Sometimes it gets clouded by a little bit of neuroticism, and you have a, a temper that flies out. It's not neuroticism, it's neuroses. The real reason is we're totally disorganized, and we just push Disorganized? Disorganized, exactly. Suboxone. I think it's pronounced suboxone. I'm grinding. You're not grinding. I'm grinding. I'm ripping. <laughs> how did you say grinding? <laughs> I am grinding. Continue the list ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. Infinitum? Infinitum. Ad infinitum. 
Do you know anything about Beat It? No. Beat It. Uh, I know about Eat It. The, what do you know? the Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> you can't even pronounce the Weird Al's name right. Canada is a big country, guys, and home. Canada. 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 But somebody who has the gestalt, the larger picture. Of I think it's us. called gestalt. 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 Uh, you only need to get surgery if the mu- muscle is teared beyond a certain point. So uh, I think it's torn. No, that's old too. Read the most newest one. The most recent. If you could interview one fictional character who happens to be a drug addict and alcoholic. Who would that be? What fictional addict would it's I want to Fictional? Is that what I said? Fictional. So the miseducation of Chris, uh, I just, you know, all this stuff, it uh, makes me miss Chris. Um, I love Chris, and uh, I loved hanging out with him, and I loved making fun of him. I love. I don't know what my favorite part of that. I had so, There's so many parts that I just love, you know, and I, I Everything... Lo- Everything in there was such gold, you know, and, and, and I think the real beauty of it is neither one of you realized how golden you both were together. Like you just didn't, you weren't trying. It was just a fucking natural, uh, you know. Well, the best thing was as nasty as I would get to him, he would laugh or, or, or like, and then he, when he would laugh, I would laugh. And it was just, it was very like, uh, infectious and real and fun. And, and, uh, fraternal. You yeah, know, it was, you guys were like brothers. It was very, very much like that. Now yeah. I want to read an email in the wake of the This American Life uh, story. I've received way more emails than I expected to get, and they're all like I got a lot of really good ones. Uh, I haven't gotten a lot of dopey stories via email lately, and uh, and I always say that we could always use good dopey stories. You know, I could use a good voicemail that's funny about drugs and i have one and we're going to play one but first i want to read this story because there's just something about it that uh this email there's just something about it that really uh struck me so i'm going to read it um hi dave i first heard dopey when it aired in new york recently on this american life i work for a vintage showroom and we always listen to npr during the day I wouldn't normally listen to a podcast about addiction, but I feel I could speak up and tell my boss why I wanted to turn it off. My dad is a heroin and other drugs and alcohol addict. From the start of the episode, I knew Todd was going to die. As someone familiar with addiction, I felt it in my gut from the first words he spoke that this episode could only end with him dying. Learning Chris had also passed away hit me in the gut and left me feeling sick for the rest of the day. My dad is Chris and Todd, and like so many other charismatic and smart men who have supportive families and potential and lives to live, uh, but also have a hole inside of them that is never quite full. I usually can keep the pain of my dad's addiction deep inside me and rarely face the memories of my childhood. The NPR episode fucked me up. I was um, angry at them for allowing the listener to care for Chris and then dropping that he was dead. I was mad at Chris for dying, and I was scared because it's all so clear that this is something that could happen to my own dad. I have been cautiously listening to Dopey since then, although I can't listen to the episodes from when Chris was still alive. And it's funny, Sam, because uh, I have people who tell me they can't listen after he died, and I have this this woman telling me she can't listen before he died. You know, it's yeah. just, it's amazing. You just never know. Yeah. Was, yeah. What what speaks to who? Anyway, 
I find that addicts who uh, I find that addicts who don't stop using want to listen to the early ones, and then people who have to live with it want to listen to the later ones. That's what, yeah, what that I find. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway, I, although I know that death is a part of addiction, and I can't hide from that, I'm not ready to face his stories. Although Dopey hurts me, which is tough. I also feel incredibly grateful for the opportunity to find a community where addiction is not stigmatized. It is not an easy thing to share with people that your dad is an addict. Most people don't understand what it means. There's a safety in the lingo and understanding of others who have seen that world. Although I am not an addict myself, I have witnessed a lot and worry about my own genetic predispositions to dependence. I don't really know why I'm writing you except to say... I heard my father in your part in your podcast and it scared me. But I appreciate what you're doing and I'm proud of you and rooting for you in your own recovery. I think your daughter is lucky to have a father who is open uh, and dedicated to dealing with his addiction. It might be hard to talk about with her, but she will be proud of you for trying. Listening to Dopey has made me want to be more open with my dad to say what always seemed to go unsaid, to call him out for the times he was high around me and tried to hide it, or when he sounded space out on the phone or disappears for weeks at a time. We barely have a relationship, only the seldom phone call out of my own self-preservation, and the reality is that I may lose him to his addiction." But maybe I should tell him uh, about both my pain and love for him before it's too late. I don't think I can ever change my dad or his desire to be safe and healthy. But listening to Dopey does make me want to be straight with him rather than hiding. I'm so scared of calling him out, and it can make me feel crazy. Dopey has inspired me to look uh, into going to Al-Anon. I needed that push to recognize how much his addiction affects me in my everyday life. Thank you for bringing addiction out in the open and showing that normal people can become addicts. Thank you for keeping on after Chris died, as hard as it must be. This all might not make sense or be linear, but I felt compelled to try and reach out. Kindly, Acadia. What do you think? Wow. I, I think that's such a remarkable email. Um, Why? Uh, I, I just I think... Uh, that it came on the heels of the This American Life piece, right? We did, you didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to listen, if anybody would, would connect with Dopey, who was not a regular listener, that was a regular listener to This American Life, but, knew not, but had never heard of the show. So this is what I think just, I just heard you read was really the power of the, your podcast, the power of the Dopey podcast, coupled with a really sincere, thoughtful, well-produced um, piece on this American life that showcased, um, the, you know, the um, the podcast that you and Chris created, uh, the horror of addiction and what can be the you know the the end, what happened to Todd and Chris, and um, and then this woman's relationship with her father. You know, I I was never the one. That was not the addict. I right. was always the addict, right. so I didn't know what the fuck was going on with my siblings or my parents. Right. Um, but to hear her so emotional and have have had had that piece really kickstart this emotion to her that she can sort of start a healing. Well, it's fucked up, Sam. It's really fucked up because you just made me realize something really interesting. When me and Chris started to do the show, we did it for all the addicts who could laugh at the dumb shit that we had done. You know, mm -hmm. and like everybody could relate to the time that you copped dope and, 
you know, or like when you get arrested, you get pulled over and your car is full of methadone and pills and you come up with some story and how funny it is for some reason to us. Right. And that was the show. That was the show. That's what kept the show moving. Blah, 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 blah. And then Todd dies. And then all of a sudden I'm a little bit like this woman, you know, and and, and I've had an addiction kind of smacks me in the face in a way that I didn't expect to feel like it. And then Chris dies. And all of a sudden the whole show is a sober person affected by an addict's choice to use. And it changed the whole show. It's like, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And, and I mean, like, to be totally honest with you, though, the thing that really got me about this email was the fact that she's at work in New York, working in a store, and they're playing dopey in the store. Or they're playing This in American vintage, Life. In a vintage store. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that would appeal to you. But yeah. uh, just, just the idea that, like, me and Chris are doing shtick in somebody's store, it's just fucking cool. I love that. Anyway. It's a sad piece. Now, um, I love that. I I really hope she does. I hope she, uh, you know, can sort something out with her father. You know, I know she really, I I thought it was really well written, her email. I think she's a really sincere person who's, you know, wants some resolution. And, um, you know, she's, I think she's sort of the quintessential person to connect with Dopey as a result of the This American Life piece. I think that that's, you reach one person, and that's freaking awesome. Well, I think that we're reaching people like her, and then we're reaching like our people. We're reaching addicts who didn't expect to find this vein of addiction and real talk and people who like have been through it and can laugh at it. Like we're we're finding our people and we're finding our new people, you know, and I think it's very beautiful. Now, because this is dopey, we gotta fucking play a dopey story, because what the fuck are we doing otherwise, you know? Hello? Yeah, what do you got? I got this this Evan, who's an amazing storyteller. He tells a little uh, ecstasy story. Oh, excellent. You want to hear it? I want to hear it. Right. I think Dopey Nation wants to hear it. I bet you they do. Hey, what's up, Dopey Nation? This is Evan in Atlanta. I wanted to tell you a story about something that happened to me in the early 2000s. Um, so I was in high school at the time and, uh, went out to this raging house party, you know, everybody's real fucked up and this dude shows up with a backpack full of these really strong, uh, pressed ecstasy pills. Everybody starts eating those, you know, getting real high, feeling good. And, um, I'm, you know, hanging out at the party for a little while and, uh, a group of some, uh, girlfriends of mine come over to me and they're like, Hey, we're, we're going over to, uh, to Michelle's house, you know, the next town over, do you want to come with us? And these are like, you know, it was like four of the the hottest girls in my grade at the time. And I was like, hell yeah. Um, so hop in their car, uh, drive to the next town over, um, you know, planning on hanging out at this girl's house. Um, we get there and the lights are all on at the house and, uh, the girl whose house it is, is like, Hey, just wait in the car. I gotta, you know, make sure everything's cool inside. You know, she goes inside, comes back out and she's like, Hey, my, my parents are awake. You, you can't stay here tonight. Like you can't come over. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I'm fucked up as hell. You know, it's like kind of the middle of the night. Uh, this is before I had a cell phone. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she's like, I don't know, but but I got to go. So I'm like, fuck. You know, they all leave, you know, 
thinking I'm going to get some action. Uh, nah. So I'm like out by myself. I start walking around the neighborhood and these pills, uh, I guess it was MDA in them. Um, I'm starting to get these like really crazy visuals. I'm walking around this, this suburban neighborhood and, um, all of a sudden I see a, uh, like a giant stop sign. Stop sign probably looks about like it's, it's about like eight, eight feet tall stop sign with a traffic light on top of it. You know, there's balloons tied to this traffic light and, um, it looked like the little, uh, the cop and the dog from the old cookie crisp cereal commercials are like standing in the middle of the street, you know, swinging a fire hose around. There's fucking confetti exploding everywhere. And, um, it looks like there's these little Dalmatian dogs with fire hats crossing the road. And I'm like, holy shit. You know, my, my mind is just being blown by these visuals. And, um, I like walk up closer to it and uh, realize it's like all a mirage created by a lawn sprinkler that's on in someone's front yard. So I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? You know, continue walking around the neighborhood just high as hell. Um, go across the street and there's like a like a wooded area that there's a uh, like a repelling a ropes course. So there's a ladder going up into this tree. I climb up into the tree. I'm like laid out on this platform, seeing all kinds of crazy visuals. Um, you know, just just fucking gone on another level. Um, as the night progresses, you know, like I start to come down a little bit. Um, I'm getting cold. I think it was like in October or something, and you know, I've got you know nothing but a t-shirt on. Um, so I'm like, fuck. Like I need to. I need to get some kind of shelter. And I walk over, um, you know, down the road a little ways, there's a, an elementary school and I end up seeing a, uh, one of those, those big recycling bins. And I'm like, fuck, that, that seems like a, a decent place to, you know, to, to get out of the cold. So I hop inside this, this recycling bin and close the top and I pass out. I end up waking up to this dude. Uh, he's like, hey, man, what, what are you doing in there? I was like, whoa, what's going on? And, uh, you know, he was the, uh, the, the waste management dude. He was about to, to dump the bin that I was, like, asleep inside of. He was like, I almost dumped you. What, you know, why are you in there? I was like, oh, this girl, you know, I was supposed to stay at this girl's house. You know, she kicked me out or whatever. And he's like, well, just, you know, go ahead. Go on. Get out of there. Um... So I get out of there. I'm still like freezing. Um, you know, s school still hasn't like started yet. And um, I see like a group of school buses. I go hop on one of the school buses and um, I'm chilling on there. I have like a bag of weed in my pocket, but I don't have a pipe or a lighter. And so I start rummaging through like the, the bus driver's stuff like up front and I'm able to find a cigarette lighter and like a pen that I make a makeshift pipe out of. So I'm sitting there, you know, smoking herb at like, I don't know, five in the morning on this school bus. And, um, you know, I figure school's about to, about to start soon. So after like probably an hour of chilling out there, I end up like walking back to the neighborhood where my friend lives and just sitting at the front of the neighborhood waiting, you know, for them to eventually like wake up and leave. So I'm just sitting out on the curb for like a few hours. And finally, um, you know, may, maybe four hours later, you know, 
the car comes to the front of the neighborhood that's got you know my my friends in it and they're like Evan you know how was your night I was like fucked up how was your night and they're like it was actually kind of boring you know like we were just we we ended up just watching TV and and you know passing out um yeah I guess my night was a little more interesting than that but um that's pretty much the story y'all take care stay strong toodles I love that fucking voicemail. It totally reminds me of tripping at night as a kid. Um, and uh, I, my favorite part, though, like I love the hallucination with the confetti and the fire hose, and it turns out to be the sprinkler. But my well, and the Cookie Crunch uh, uh, yeah. characters. Well, his yeah. allusion to Cookie Crisp is is awesome, and that that's what like really piqued my ears up. But the <laughs> thing that gets me is when he finds himself on the school bus with weed and no pipe and he makes himself the pipe out of the pen because that's what I always did. Like, there was a certain kind of pen, like, back in the day that when you took, like, you basically, you unscrewed the bottom part where the, you know, you click on the top part and the little, whatever you call it, the pen part comes out of the bottom part, you know, and it's like a silver cone. Yeah. It's like yeah. a silver cone where the where the writing part comes out. But if you unscrewed the silver cone and you reversed it on the tube and you took out the clicky part and you would tape it up, that's what I smoked out of at work. I would have a million of those pen one hitters. So like and then imagining him on a school bus smoking weed in the morning and the sun's coming up and it's filling up with smoke and he's worried about the kids. It just takes me back. And it's not like a fucking super dark, horrible heroin crack story. It's like fairly innocent, and it, and it reminds me of those days. Yeah, it, it's just reminiscent of so many places that I know that so many of the listeners, yeah, me included, uh, you know, ended up. You know, and and it wasn't that wasn't a weird night. Like we that wasn't an anomaly. You know, to end up alone. You know, to end up. Yeah, well, I never ended up in a dumpster, luckily, and the, and Evan is very lucky that he didn't get hoisted into a you know a compactor because that would he wouldn't have been able to tell that story for one thing. Um, but yeah, but it was just reminiscent of all the times you know that it did seem innocent that we would trip and recreationally use right. Right, and if you can use like that, God bless you. I think Evan wound up becoming some crazy. Uh opiate addict if memory serves but you know i'm sure if evan evan's still listening what's going on send in another voicemail if you guys are listening send in a fucking voicemail try to keep it snappy um sam i'm so glad you're on the mend so glad you yeah, can I'm come alive. in you're, you know and you're getting better live and kicking I'm getting better I, I i think i'm i'm in the home stretch and i think i could be sleeping in my own bed in a couple days well that's good news we've gotten so many reviews if you guys want to go on itunes and leave a review i'd prefer a five-star review but before we go i'm gonna read a, a two-star review from uh miss csn uh, on february 11th she says two stars production needs work i want to love this podcast i really do but the sound quality is just so incredibly bad. It's extremely hard to listen to. Not sure if they need better equipment or what, but come on. Surely there's a better way they could improve it some. It seriously sounds like someone making an audio memo on their phone. Harsh, Miss CSN. Quickly, um, can't... What, what, that is really harsh. I think your production quality is getting better and better. Well, I think last week's 
My dad keeps bothering me about it with the Aurora thing. We used the bad board, blah, blah, blah. She sounded bad, whatever. Um, he, she, she was a little faint, but are you sure she just wasn't on speakerphone on her end? No, I have no idea what happened. I know it didn't sound great. Here, I'm yeah. going to read some good reviews before we go. Uh, five right. stars. Can't get enough. Wilhelmina. Dave, I love you. That's so nice. I love you, mm. too. I've been binge listening. I'm going to send a long voicemail soon. Send it, and don't make it too fucking long, Wilhelmina. Come on. Uh, Gold by Zainold. Thanks, y'all. This keeps me straight. Keep up the good content. Toodles. Uh, from Big Suave Nasty. Love. So much love for every moment. You know, good old Dub Steph from Twitter World says the best. Stoop by. I think she wanted to say stop, but she said stoop by to say I love you. Um, love these. And then a, a yeah, quick. See, they're, not, they're not bitching about the sound quality. I love, I, I, you know, I love it. I mean, I, I, it, it boggles my mind and it fucking traumatizes me, but I love reading negative reviews. That doesn't mean you guys should give me negative reviews. I just think they're funny. Um, yeah. So, you know, fucking, the other weird thing is that we, we have many, many people who listen to the show and not many people who follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. So I think it'll make us more potential money and make us bigger if you follow us on social media. So just do that. I mean, if I, I doubt these people are listening and don't have access to social media. Right. Well, Dave, you know the, the, the big news uh, uh, of the week, but some of the big news is that the Dopey Nation Facebook group just hit a thousand members it's a lot of dopes out there there's a lot of dopes out there that love this love the stuff that they're hearing every week i i think that's a pretty cool milestone it's a pretty cool group everybody really super supportive of each other and uh, you know that's a that's a not insignificant number thousand people well and growing every day do we want you make an announcement when we hit ten thousand I will. All right, good. I think I will. All right. You daring me? I'll do it. So, yes. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Reddit. What's up to Cormac on Reddit for keeping Reddit uh, healthy and free? Cormac, thank you for everything you do. But where's the fucking song, man? He owes us a song. Fucking Jake, where's the song? If you're a musician, do a little fucking tune, right? Right? Sam? Hello? Yeah. I say right and you say nothing. You you know... You know, scrub a washboard or, you know, play a juice harp. You know, send us some music. And uh, do some art. And uh, what was I going to say? There was this something I wanted to say, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, I guess stay strong, Dopey Nation. And uh, Sam, you want to say goodbye? Yeah, I do want to say goodbye. And I do also want to say one more thing is that um, to our brothers and sisters, in and out of recovery north of the border in Canada. Stay strong. Yeah, that's great. And toodles. Super big thanks to uh, super dopey guest Jamie Lee Curtis for coming on and participating, which uh, blows my mind. Scratch Jamie Lee Curtis off the to-do list, which is exciting. And um, fucking Aloe Recovery. Thank you guys for supporting Dopey, and we support you. Hope you guys all had a romantic Valentine's Day. Uh, Looking forward to the fucking springtime, which will be so nice. If you live on the East Coast, it's been cold lately, and it's about to get warm and beautiful, which is really exciting. And um, we'll just say what we always say, which is stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris, uh, who we always miss. What a day.
Center. I'm uh, Sam's nursing assistant. Just reminding the dopey nation out there to go out and get your flu shots. You guys don't want to end up an old, decrepit, fucked up man like Sammy here at the hospital. And um, yeah, stay strong, dopey nation. Toodles. Toodles.